if you'll stand, I want to go ahead and pray over the service. I want to talk to us tonight when the miracle and the mistake dwell in the same house. So I know this word is for someone. Um, it's very rare this ever happens, but God puts a face in my mind, and they're here tonight. So I know it was for me, and I know it's for them, and I hope and I believe it's for everyone here this evening. But Lord, I want to thank you so much for everything that you do, God. You are so good to us, and I pray, God, that you would anoint me, God, as I deliver your word, God, and I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us tonight. I pray you would soften our hearts, give us wisdom and understanding, God, to to receive your word, God, and I pray tonight, God, that it would break strongholds, God, and I pray that it would restore and it would deliver, God, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. When the miracle and the mistake dwell in the same house earlier this morning I'm going to tell myself and this is the worst time for me to tell this story because my brother-in-law Justin's here and he already talks about my cooking so this is not a good time for me to share this story but here it goes so this morning I sent sister Kaiser a picture because we had ordered some bread from Hunter for a fundraiser and it was the good kind that's braided with the Bavarian cream in the middle and has the chocolate icing drizzle over it. So I was looking forward to this bread. And I was going to cook it weeks ago, but it said that you have to lay it out for 8 to 12 hours. So I said, Dawson, we're not having this tonight for dessert. I'm going to have to lay it out another time because it has yeast and it needs to, you know, rise up, swell. So I said, we're going to have to do it another time. So another time was last night, and I was so excited. I got that bread out, Sister Renelle. I put it on top of my stove, its glass top, and I laid it there. And I was like, Dawson, I'm going to try really hard to get up early in the morning and fix this bread for us. And he's like, okay, Mom. Well, I never get up really early. <laughs> Already messed up once. But um, I got up, and I ran into the kitchen, and guess what happened? I should probably read directions all the way through, but I put that bread on there. It was in the package. I didn't think about that yeast swelling. It exploded the entire package on my stove, and there is that Bavarian cream just shot out the side of that bread all over my stove. I was like, no, and then I remember Sister Kaiser said, let me know how you do it, sis. Okay, click. <laughs> I sent her a picture, and I said, you don't want to ask me how to do it. <laughs> so, that was my mistake. Now, let me tell you about the miracle. So, I wasn't about to waste my $15 on that bread. So, I went ahead and cut the paper all around it, scooped it up, Sister Lulabelle, smushed that Bavarian cream back into that bread, shaped it real good, and put it in my loaf pan. And that bread is good, okay? Dawson done ate almost the whole thing. He had no idea that it exploded all over my, my stove. So there's my little story. But the miracle and the mistake can dwell in the same house. So tonight I want to take us to Genesis chapter 17, verse 15 through 19. You guys can stay seated. You can stay seated. I got a lot of verses to go through tonight, so hang with me, okay? And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarah, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. 
Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Now, mistake. I think everyone in here pretty much knows what a mistake is, but just in case. It's a fault in understanding, perception, interpretation, an idea, an answer, or an act that is wrong. It's an error. Now, a miracle. This is going to be an event or an action that apparently contradicts scientific laws, and it happens instantly. It's remarkable. It cannot be explained by doctors or anyone. It's a miracle. We live in a world that is full of mistakes and almost void of miracles. The reason that we live in such a world is because of the perception of man, what we see. We focus on the mistakes and often fail to see the miracles. Dwight Eisenhower says, nothing is easy in war. Mistakes are always paid for in casualties. This is the view of a fallen man. Mistakes often override the miracles in our lives. When our mistakes are brought to God, he has a way of removing the things that create failure in our spiritual walk. But still, there is that often nagging thought of the mistake. God can fix it. He can remove the problems and rework it and restore the situation. But then in our mind, we still have that nagging remembrance, that nagging thought of the mistake. And it's not just an ordinary mistake, but I'm talking about the big mistake. If we, Your mind's probably already going there tonight. The one that you can't get rid of. The one that you have problems forgiving yourself for. The one that embarrassed you. The one that ruined your witness. The one that caused you to begin the downward spiral towards shame. So before long, that mistake will ruin and rule your entire life if you let it. The mistake is never far from your mind. The mistake rises and it stands before you when you begin to pray. The mistake mocks you when you lift your hands in worship. The mistake laughs when you volunteer to say prayer. The mistake distracts you when you attempt to read the Bible. The mistake haunts you every time that you attempt to make a new commitment. The mistake robs you. The mistake robs you of your peace. The mistake has raided all of your spiritual reserves. And a mistake is something that you can no longer live with. Now you live in a place where the mistake is tormenting you. If you find yourself in that position, the word of God has the power to give you the faith to rise up. And the spirit of God is able to provide the deliverance from the mistake. Now, let's go with the history. The four names that was mentioned in the text earlier, Abraham, Sarah, Ishmael, and Isaac, are no stranger to a lot of us, especially that story in the Bible. But what happened to these individuals in the Bible, their story, Abraham, let me give you the breakdown so you can remember who these four people are, just in case it's been a little bit. Abraham is the man of God 
caught out of the land of the Chaldees, the searcher for the city whose builder and maker was God. Now Sarah is his wife. She faithfully followed Abraham into the land that God was going to lead them to. Now Ishmael was the son born to Abraham in his moment of doubt, his mistake. I don't want to call Ishmael a mistake, but Ishmael came forth from a mistake made. Isaac was a promise that was fulfilled in the old age of Abraham and Sarah. So Isaac was a promised child. But there's far more to the story than just a brief overview. So here it is. When our lives are led into mistakes or failures, whether or not we will be willing to admit it or not, that failure, that, that one mistake, begin its processing long before you made the mistake. Normally, the big mistake in your life, you've already dwelt on it, and then you made it. And that's why it sticks with you so long. But there's a greater illustration of this point when you look at the life of Samson. Judges chapter 15, verses 20 through, or just 15 and 20. Sorry, Peyton, to give you a heart attack there for a second. But Peyton's my helper tonight. She's doing really good, I think. Yeah, yeah, she's getting there. Judges 15 and 20 says, And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Now when we go to Judges 16 and 1, it says, Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there a harlot and went in unto her. So for 20 years, that unbridled passion and lust ate at the very soul of Samson until he fulfilled it in a single moment of failure. The same was the origin of the mistake of Abraham. First of all, Abraham found himself involved in a famine. Now, this is where it all starts. Genesis 12 and 10 says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. Okay, so notice in Genesis 12 and 10, and there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down. It says that he went down to Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. We have the world outside. So here, Abram went down to Egypt. So Egypt is a type of world. It was the world that Abraham retreated to during his time of famine. The spiritual application here involves is a warning, never go to the world during your moments of spiritual famine. So when we are starting to feel that mistake or we're starting to feel fear or we're scared because of famine and we're not feeling what we used to feel with God or those convictions are no longer important to us because we went this to the left or to the right or we're running from our mistake, you're running from the famine and you go into the world. Men meet failure when they go to the wrong places during their famine. It is in our dry place, Matthew 12 and 43, that's not on there, Peyton, that we are most vulnerable to mistakes. It's not when you're strong. It's not when you're feeling the power of the Holy Ghost and, every, and you're on the mountaintop and everything's going great, but it's in your famine, in your famine time is when you're most vulnerable to mistakes, and that's what the enemy realizes. That's what the enemy knows. So it was to Egypt that Abraham went during the time of famine. He left the land of Canaan and went to Egypt. 
So Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 10 through 12. It says, For the land, whither thou goest in to possess it, is not as the land of Egypt, from whence ye came out. Where thou sowest thy seed, and whither thou with thy foot, waterest thou with thy foot, as a garden of herbs, but the land, whether ye go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of the heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it, from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. In Egypt, water has to be carried from the muddy Nile to the water its crops. So Egypt, the world, has a muddy river, and you have to carry the water to water the crops. But in Canaan, fresh rains provided the refreshment for the crops. So he left a place where everything is provided, where God had him. He left God's will, which is Canaan, because of his famine. And then he runs to Egypt, where he's dipping in muddy water and carrying it to his crops now. So Abraham forsook his altars and his tent to go to Egypt. His altars and his tents were the meeting places with God, but he left them to go to Egypt. I want to pause just a minute because when you build altars in the Bible days, it was for sacrifices, either for your sins or you built an altar of thanksgiving because God just brought you through something. God just did something great for you. So Abraham, in his weak moment, left his place of worship which was to God when he made his sacrifices. Hang with me. Then he went to down into Egypt. So when he left that, he forgot the things that God's done. When you're in your weakest moment, when you're in that, that spiritual famine, we all been there. We all have. And we're probably going to face it again. I'm not speaking it on you. I'm just being realistic here. So he left his altars, and he couldn't remember the things that God's done. God told you today, when you were getting almost grumpy, almost, not quite there, but almost, hey, look, you have another vehicle. You have something to be thankful for. But when you walk out of the will of God, sometimes we forget the blessings in our life. We forget what he's done for us before. And all we see is the world around us. A quick fix here, a quick fix there. We're going to fix this by putting band-aids on our wounds instead of addressing it and taking it to the altar of God. So I'm thankful today that when we are in a famine, I'm thankful when I see myself in a, a terrible situation. I get there, I get down. I didn't get almost grumpy this week. I got totally grumpy for the littles. And I had to remember... What God's done for me in the past, he's going to do it for me again. Sometimes the waiting, I hate waiting. I'll just push pause right there. I'm not going to go into that. That's a different time. Isaiah 31 and 1 says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. It was in Egypt that the wheels of the mistake began to turn. Hagar had been picked by Sarah to be her handmaid. 
If your haven is the world during times of spiritual drought, it has to be understood that some detrimental things will be picked up along the way that will weaken the grip that you have on your promise. God gave Abraham and Sarah a promise. And they left the will of God. They forgot everything that God has done for them at their altar and their tents, went down into Egypt, and now look what they got themselves into. Got a handmaiden. They don't want to wait. It's hard waiting with God, but it's really hard to wait without God. You want to take everything into your own hands, and it's going to uh, loosen the grip that you have on your promise. So Genesis 16 and 1 says, Now Sarah and Abram's wife bear him no children, and she had a handmaid. See, here goes the the wheels. They're starting to turn. Whose name was Hagar. Time has a way of wearing down the promises of God. How many of you, hands raised, God's promised you something a long time ago, and you yet to receive it, but you're still standing on his word. I've got promises. I'm holding on to them. So time has a way of wearing down the promises of God. Abraham and Sarah were not immune to that weight of time. They began to doubt that God really was going to live up to his promises of making Abraham the father of a great nation. So in a moment of doubt, guess what happened? Abraham and Sarah decided to take matters into their own hands. And then a mistake happened. After Ishmael was born... It did not take long for Abraham to realize that a mistake had been born. He noticed it when Sarah and Hagar became rivals. They both began to compete for the eye of Abraham. Abraham saw that his miracle was slipping away. So here comes the birth of the miracle. With the weight of guilt on the shoulders of Abraham, he turned to the only place that he had left. And guess what that place was? God. Sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom before you realize you need to look up. So you can read it in Genesis 17. But we read of the renewal of the covenant with God. And that is the only place to go when the mistake has you gasping in a spiritual death grip. When it consumes you. Because in the place of God, there's a place of renewal. There's a place of consecration. There's a place of hope that becomes a spot of refreshment. So after the renewal of the covenant, shortly after, we see the birth of Isaac. When he, when he recommits, when he has that renewal commitment with God, when he came back to the will of God, then his promise was fulfilled. That's when God fulfilled the promise in his life. Suddenly, the mistake and the miracle were in the same house. Anytime the mistake and the miracle are in the same house, there's always going to be a struggle between both of them. One of the masterful things that the old preachers, and I, I, Brother Johnson's not here, but I found a whole bunch of cassette tapes underneath that uh, stairwell at the KCA of old sermons from this church. Y'all, some of them was when I don't even think I was walking yet. (laughs) But I took some of those sermons, and I asked Brother Johnson if they had a tape player, because I don't have one of those anymore. And um, Dawson's like, what is this? I said, that's a cassette tape, son. (laughs) So I took that home, and I've been listening to these old messages from Bishop Magruder, and there was another elder man 
that used to preach a lot here because his name was all of those tapes too, and I cannot remember his name now. And then some of Sister Priscilla, and I've been listening to those old preaching messages. And this is what I've noticed with them, but they'll take the Old Testament passage just like this one, and they'll milk out the symbols and what it represents. But also I liked it because there was no sugarcoat, nothing. One of the ladies, the other ladies, I was like, I can't believe she just said that in church. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Sister Ronell. It's awesome. But here it goes. Ishmael is a son of doubt. Isaac is a son of the promise. Ishmael is the work of the flesh. Isaac is the work of the spirit. Ishmael was Abraham's mistake situation. Isaac was Abraham's miracle. Hagar the Egyptian, the intruder, and Sarah is the Jew and the blessed. Hagar was the worldly church. Sarah was the chosen church. Abraham, a man of doubt. Abraham, a man of faith. Abraham, the liar who fled to Egypt, the world, and Abraham, the man of faith, fled his homeland to seek out the place of God. So, those situations aren't necessarily those people I just named, but the, the circumstance, what they stand for in, in those moments of Abraham and Sarah's life. So the Bible is loaded with examples like this. And just like Bishop Magruder and all those older pastors who've gone on, they didn't have any resources to study with, but they would pray and meditate over the word of God, and then God would give them insight from the Bible to give to the church. Just like uh, God spoke to Abraham then, God can speak to us now. Just like God would speak to me, God will speak to you, every single one of you in this house, because he's no respecter of persons. So we need to be in the will of God, and we need to know his voice. We need to listen to his voice so we don't run to Egypt. We don't go down, and we have to pay a price for it. So let's give the mistake an eviction notice. Such was the case with Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael soon began to understand that he was the mistake and that Isaac was the miracle. The attitude of Ishmael began to change towards Isaac, and he began to see him as a rival. He began to be a tormentor of Isaac. So the mistake worked at every opportunity to crush the miracle. The mistake badgered the miracle. The mistake smothered the miracle. The mistake harassed the miracle. The mistake pestered the miracle. And this is the story of our lives. Commitment begins to move forward and the mistake, the mistake begins to harass you. A prayer life begins to develop and a mistake begins to bother you. A day or two fasting and it seems like the miracle has the upper hand, but the mistake hasn't been banished and it comes back to suffocate the, dis the discipline. It soon became apparent to Abraham that something had to be done. So, the father sent Ishmael away. Ishmael was moved out of Isaac's way. The mistake had finally been banished, and the miracle was in the process of stretching its wings. The mistake had been evicted. And it's possible for us. Abraham really was going to be the father of a great nation in spite of his mistake. So it doesn't matter if we make mistakes. We all have. Every single one of us in this room has a big mistake that has tormented us or tortured us sometime in our life. You know where you want, you know those big erasers? 
you want a huge one. And you can go back in life and just erase that part of your life as if it never occurred. So Abraham really was blessed by God in spite of his mistake. And we can be, and we are blessed of God, despite any mistakes in our life. There ought to be a sense of faith rising in our hearts. And I pray for a sense of faith to be rising in your spirit. This is the kind of preaching that the enemy doesn't like to hear or listen to. This is the kind of teaching that he doesn't want you to understand, that you are an overcomer, that you can let go of your mistake, and that you can put it under your feet and see the restoration of God. So, revival is still going to come in spite of past mistakes. Healing can happen in spite of mistakes. Restoration can still take place in spite of mistakes. Hope is still alive in our lives in spite of my mistakes. And faith still believes in spite of your mistakes. 2 Corinthians, I'm getting ready. I'm getting close to being done, guys. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not inputting their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So, the mistake, what will you do with it? I got a short story, the mystery of the stone. Here's what you need to do with your mistake. There was something about the way the little old man rummaged around in the trunk of his car that captured the attention. He cast a nervous glance over his shoulder, then lifted out something heavy, wrapped in cloth. His unexpected arrival had broken the stillness of the horizon in the blue mesa in Arizona's petrified forest. He labored across the road and out into the desert. Moving with difficulty, stopping now and then to catch his breath, he continued on until he reached the hump of a small hill that formed the lower edge of the Blue Mesa. He calculated the slope, then he, hefted his, he lifted his burden and started down. Once he had gained the bottom, he walked perhaps ten yards further to the edge of a small gully, knelt in the dirt, and gently unwrapped his bundle. A piece of petrified wood tumbled out. It appeared to be about 15 pounds, a splintered chunk from the base of a tree, looking astonishingly wooden, although it had turned to stone 225 million years ago. It glittered with crystals and gleamed green and red and blue from the smooth jasper that had filled in the tree's living cells. The old man bent down and touched the stone. Then he lifted his eyes toward the sunset and sat motionless for a long time. It was at that point that he began the story. I had to bring it back, he said, answering in an unspoken question. I found it 60 years ago. I took it when I was 13. My brother and I plotted and planned and took it when our father wasn't watching. My father was upset when he found it, but we were back in New York by then. He had carried that rock his entire life, always struggling with it, the conscience of returning it. He had vowed to return it to the desert who had once 
harbored the treasure. The guilty twinge had persisted in his life all these years. Valuable? Yes. But who would buy the mistake? He knew that if he sold it, his conscience would never let him rest. But finally the stone was back on the slope that he had remembered. In the deepening twilight, there was a faint smile on the old man's face. A traveler finally experienced relief within sight of the end of the journey. So what is your mistake? Everyone has one, an old piece of rock that is harbored in the soul, never venturing toward the light of the holiness of God, but it's still there. The rocks vary in shape and size, but it is a mistake that robs the work of the miracle that God wants to see in your life. Maybe it's a confrontation that you had with someone at work and things at work are tense. Maybe it's someone that you can't forgive for something they've done to you years ago. Maybe you really ruined your witness at home or at work or even at the church. Maybe it's a confrontation that you have had with your spouse and your marriage is still shaky. Maybe it's some dishonesty with God, with your pastor or with your spouse or with your children. Maybe you cheated someone out of something, not necessarily money, but a position. Maybe your mistake is the moment that your lust consumed you and you gave in. Maybe your mistake is some bitterness that you have held on long after the wound should have healed. Maybe your mistake was a failure in your life a long time ago to give in to the call of God, but you turned the other way. Maybe your mistake was an accusing finger that you pointed at God for your circumstances. Or maybe I haven't named your mistake, but it's still there. It's hideous, it's ugly, and you need some relief. And I'm getting ready to close. Sister Little, I have the same answer. You are just a few steps from the altar tonight where you can lay your rock down, just like that, metal, that gentleman did. That, that rock was pretty heavy to be carrying around for 60 years. 60 years he carried it. Some of you might be carrying your rock, your mistake for years, and some of you might be carrying a mistake that just recently happened and you wish you could fix it. But you can. You can come to the altar tonight. You can pray where you are, wherever you're comfortable. And you can give that mistake back to God. He can take that from you and you don't have to live with it. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. This is my last scripture for tonight. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? As it is written... For thy sake, we are, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, if you care to stand with me tonight. Is there any rocks that we want to drop off? You can leave your mistake at the altar, and a miracle can begin to rain, just like Abraham. He left, but as soon as he turned and went back to Jesus, that's when the promise was fulfilled in his life. So I want to encourage you tonight, and I want to, to let you know that when the miracle and the mistake dwell in the same house, just lay it down and return to the will of God. 
And you might be serving the Lord with your whole heart. You may be coming to church. But in that little area of your life, you need to turn that area back over to God. So as she sings tonight, I want to pray. And you can pray the altar or you can pray where you are, wherever you're more comfortable. But I want to pray over you tonight. Lord, I want to thank you so much, God. For everything that you do for us, Lord, you are a good, good father. God, I pray that if there's anyone in here, God, especially the individuals that you showed me tonight, God. God, as we face a famine in our life, God, whether it's stresses of life, God, or or we're, we're suffering, God, from those mistakes that are tormenting us every single day, God. I pray that you would reach down, God, that you would touch their hearts, that you would touch their spirits, God. Help them to release those things. Help us to stay in your will, God. Help us to turn to you, God, and let it go, God. Lord, you have a promise for us. You have a promise for each and every one of us, God. And I pray for thy will to be done, God, in their lives, Lord.